And tonight we're going to hear from the, from the, from the Word. And this morning we looked at, uh, uh, that as the church grows, opportunities for ministry arise. And, and ministry must be managed. And, and yet while it's managed, that the main thing has to remain the main thing. And the spreading of the Scriptures uh, caused disciples to grow. The men of God, the shepherds, uh, are focused on that. Tonight I want to talk to you about another aspect of, of the church. And it's the life amongst the members of the, of the church. You're, you are members of the body here at, at Timberlake. And, and uh, I'm calling it sheep-to-sheep contact. Uh, you know that there are some who argue that uh, that basketball is not a contact sport, um, and it probably depends upon who's playing. I mean, there's been a couple guys injured over at TCS playing basketball. Earl was one of them. I remember his finger got stoved up before. Um, but did you know that that while that might be true about basketball, church is a contact sport. And I don't mean football. I don't mean pummeling each other. But sheep have contact with other sheep, and, and, and that's part of the body life. As a matter of fact, that's, the vi- that's vital. You have contact with other believers. That's what you do when you come together as the, as, as the church. And most of the time, that's, that's good, that's godly. Some of the times, that can cause friction, and you have to know how to respond to it in a biblical and, and godly and 1 Thessalonians provides us just, just some very clear, direct statements about different scenarios when sheep have contact with, with other sheep. And, and you have to follow these, these rules, if you will, um, rules of the game that allow for, for growth of a, of a healthy flock. So let's open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll begin reading in verse 12. So the end of the book. New subject. New section, I should say. Actually, two subjects. And we're only going to cover the second one, but I'll show you how it all fits together. Verse 12. And we urge you, brethren, recognize those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace amongst yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. We're going to cover those verses, but Paul goes on. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything giving Thanks, or give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to know what the will of God is for your life? Well, here's very direct. It's to give thanks, at least one aspect of it. Don't quench the Spirit, don't despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. A lot of short statements there, a lot of imperatives, commands in that in that passage. And beginning in verse 12, through the end of, the, uh, in, end of that passage, verse 22, you have what's called community conduct. It's, it's life within the body. And it covers two areas. And the first area that he covers is, is, is contact with, with the leaders, with your elders, with, 
with those who are over you in the Lord. Look at verse 12. He says, we urge you, brethren, he's talking to the church, recognize those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace amongst yourselves. So the first part of community conduct, the first part that he deals with, is how the church body or how church members or how sheep respond to their shepherds. That's the first thing that he covers. And then he turns to sheep to sheep. Verse 14, now we exhort you, brethren... Warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil for anyone, but always pursue what is good for yourselves and for all. Now, verses 16 through verse 22 are general truths, general principles that you apply within, within the church. So you've got this relationship, how the sheep relate to the shepherds, and then how the sheep relate to, to one another. 1 Thessalonians is a great letter. I love it. It's a young church. Uh, Paul praises them. It's a church that's healthy. People are talking about the church because they're turning from idols to serve God. Their testimony is clear. They have great integrity. Wonderful things are happening. They have a little bit of an issue with the coming of the Lord, and so Paul tries to straighten them out on the rapture, and, and those who have fallen asleep, those who die before Jesus returns... And then he encourages them to, to continue on. But it's in this section here that I, that I want to talk to you about this, this community conduct. So here is your proposition. There, there are five rules I think that you find here. There's five commands, so that's where we get the five rules. Five rules to sheep to sheep contact that, that promote a healthy flock. Now this morning and tonight and probably next Sunday and, and, and beyond, I'm going to be focusing... Lord willing, at least that's my plan, on things like this, of relationships within, within the body. I think it's healthy to do that, especially when we're looking at forward development and other things. It's always good to remind ourselves both of the needs of one another and also how to prefer each other. Because it's a great time for God to do wonderful things. It's also no secret it's a great time for Satan to do horrible things. So we look to... To the word. So here tonight, you're going to get five rules that govern your relationships between one another, sheep to sheep contact, and it promotes health in the in the flock. Now I put that last part on there about promoting health, promoting a healthy flock, because it's it's uh, um, it's probably the at the well you'll see the commands here are abnormal from what the world would say, or maybe even abnormal to what your 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 personality is, or your nature. I mean, these are commands. It tells you to specifically do some things. And, and you may be the type of person that just kind of lays back and says, you know, I'm going to let be, let be, and, and I'm not going not gonna, to, you know, who am I? And I guess to a certain degree that's a good attitude to have, who am I? But, but this gives us some specific commands, and we want to look at them. Paul's just admonished the church to recognize the shepherds of the church those that labor, exercise oversight, and teach. And he says to acknowledge their work, to esteem them highly for their work's sake. Now, I think that's important um, because I'm not worthy to even touch this book, much less be called to preach it, but you esteem the shepherds because of the work that they do, because they are under shepherds. And it's the work of the, of the chief shepherd that we participate in. Esteem them highly for, for what they do 
And then he moves on to these healthy relationships. Verse 14 is a, is an exhortation. Or it's an urging. Look at verse 14. Now we exhort you, or we urge you, we, we, we call your attention to this, and we encourage you to do it. It's, it's a very, it's a very strong, strong word. It's, um, He's enticing them, but, but he's doing it in a way that he's calling their attention to it. He, he's saying, pay attention to this. I really want you to pay attention. This is really important. And, and as Paul normally does, it, he calls them brethren. He, it's they're, they're, he's endearing. Uh, they're endeared to his own heart, and, and he's endearing himself uh, to them. And then he gives them these commands that will promote health. You can have right doctrine, Thessalonians do, you can have right leaders, but if your members aren't healthy, you'll still have a weak church. I mean, you can have weak doctrine, you can have bad doctrine, great leaders, great relationships within the church to have a weak church. You can have right doctrine, lousy leaders, wicked men standing behind the pulpit, great relationships, you can have a weak church. But here, the church has right doctrine for the most part. They're responding to the Word. At least they're not in rebellion. What they don't know, they're in ignorance. They respond well to Paul. Right doctrine. They have good leaders. But the members need some admonitions. And so he begins here. We exhort you, brethren. And here's the first imperative command. Warn those who are, who are unruly. The word unruly is a, is a military Term. The first rule that governs sheep-to-sheep contact is we must admonish those out of step. That's what the word unruly means. Outside of the Bible, this word unruly or the out of step is a military term. And, and um, it referred to, to anyone who, who didn't do his duty. It was derelict of duty. A person that, that would have this term applied to them would would have gotten out of rank, out of line. You probably all saw the, the news, uh, you know, with all of these individuals uh, coming and complaining about uh, the, the Bergdahl fellow that uh, our government traded the five Taliban leaders for about how he was derelict in his duty. I mean, they're even talking about him walking off of the, walking off of the post. This word would have been applied to, to Mr. Bergdahl. It's, it's somebody who was a soldier who was out of rank or behaved disorderly. Uh, it also carried the idea of, a, of an army moving in disarray. If you ever seen some of the movies like when, uh, when the, um, the, the British come and they're all lined up perfectly and, and then you have the, uh, you know, the Patriots come and, and they're you know ragtag bunch, and when they're first learning how to march, and otherwise one's marching ahead and one's behind, and and they're all over. That would have been that would have been this term un, unruly. They obviously finally get it because we're not under British rule. And here the word could also mean when it's applied here with Paul, not in military, it could mean someone in the church who um, who was who was idle or, or apathetic. Um, refers to somebody who's out of step. Somebody who's out of step with the, with the church, with, in rebellion, out, out of line. 
wherever he, wherever the church was headed or leading. It's since unruly. They're, Paul's saying there are those, for whatever reason, who become unruly. They're, they get out of step. Rather than being a yoke fellow, somebody who puts their head in the, in the yoke and pulls in the same direction alongside other members, they become a, they become a, a millstone. Become a weight rather than a, rather than, than a help. The unruly become, um, bench warmers. And bench warmers usually, uh, become critics. And, um, eventually rebel and otherwise. Uh, everybody made a big deal about, uh, uh, Johnny Manziel, you know, playing for the, for the Browns last night. And I always find the preseason time interesting because they always play the, the new guys, but the, the starter starts, right? He plays the first couple, couple times, couple plays, couple, uh, sessions, and then they put the other guy in. And I was just, I was just, was watching that last night, the, the Cleveland Browns, uh, uh, quarterback, watching him on the sidelines while this guy who's vying for his job is doing really well and gets to play, you know, like 90% of the game, and he only gets to play 10% of the game. And I was just thinking, what's he thinking there on the sideline while this guy's just out here lighting it up on the, you know, on the field? And maybe that's, maybe that's a, an image or a picture here. It's somebody, uh, a church member who sits on the sidelines and watches the plays that are going on and, and then, becomes unruly, becomes, becomes a, uh, a criticizing bench warmer, if you will. And then that obviously can be a bad thing and undermine unity. It can happen for all kinds of reasons. We're not told here how this individuals or how these individuals in Thessalonica got unruly or got out of step. Um, it just says that they, that they were. Uh, I've become out of step at, at times for any number of reasons. Feelings hurt, get bitter, didn't think my input was taken, whatever it, whatever it might be. Sometimes it's a power thing. Um, people want to be in control. This is not just unsupportive. It's not just a person who's unsupportive. This is, this person, this word who's unruly, this is a person that that they, they actively, whether open or subtly, go against the grain. Fight against whatever is, you know, is, is, is happening. And, and that obviously can be, can be very damaging. Now, I'm not talking about, I don't think Paul's talking about here, and I'm not talking about having a different, different opinion or having, you know, seeing things differently. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. You, you can have perspectives, even as we've talked about, you know, in our situation with our forward development stuff, this is not a matter of sin or ethics. This is a matter of wisdom. So we're not talking about if you agree or don't agree, you're in sin or out of sin. It's a matter of we have what we have, we are where we are, and what's the best way to move forward based upon our circumstances. So this is not a matter of, of you know, you have a different opinion than what than whoever. That's not what I think he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is is maybe you have a different opinion and then you take that a step further. You become unruly. You become on the fringe, almost uh, work against or uh, damage the, 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 the harmony within the body for whatever reason. I told you before, um, 
I think I've given you the illustration of the, of the colony of, of 50 ants. I told you the, the illustration about the ants before. It's these 50 ants, they run up on a potato chip and they want to move it back to their anthill. So, so they get together and they have a meeting, but they can't agree on how to get the, how to get the potato chip back to the, to the anthill. Some said, let's carry it. Some said, no, let's drag it. Some said, let's break it up and take it a piece at a time. And, and after a long discussion, they finally agreed that, that they would just carry it, much to the chagrin of those who wanted to, to drag it or break it up. So when it comes time, about 10 of the 50 ants go and pick up the, the potato chip and they put it on their backs and they begin, begin to carry it. And about 20 or so said, I'm not really sure about the decision, so let's just hop on and ride and see what happens, see how far they get. And, you know, if it looks like they're going to get back to the hill, then we'll jump off at the last minute and throw a shoulder up under it and say, look at what we did, okay? Another 10 said, you know, I think we should have done, we should have, should have drug it. Um, so let's hop on and drag our feet, you know, off the back. Ten others said, uh, you know, this is my colony. My great-great-aunt founded it. Pun intended. And I think we need to break it up. So let's dig in our heels and pull in the opposite direction. It's the, the, the potato chip riding ants. It's the feet dragging ants. It's the pulling in the opposite direction ants that I think Paul is talking about. Here, it's not the ants that have a different opinion on how to get the potato chip back to the, to the hill. And he says to admonish those who go beyond opinion into something that's harmful, working against, he says to admonish them. Now, it's an, it's a, it's an interesting word. It's two words put together, admonish, it's in the Greek. It's the word for mind and the word for place. It's nous, the mind. Sometimes I like to put a noose around my mind. That's how I always remembered that because my thinking wanders everywhere. The noose is the mind and then tithemi, which means to place. So admonish means to place within the mind. You're to come alongside and place within the mind of the unruly truth. That's what it means. You come alongside and you speak to them. You come alongside and you admonish them. Now, when you hear admonish, sometimes you think negative, but it doesn't always have to be negative here. Obviously, this is negative because you're correcting. But it's to come alongside and place within the mind loving, clear truth. Instruct their minds, reason with them. In the context, it's letting them know the danger to themselves and, and to, the, to the health of the, of the church. There's some members need to be Admonished. Have you ever admonished another brother or sister in the Lord? Because now I want you to notice, this is not the job of a pastor. This is the job of other believers within the same church. This is brethren. I'm urging you, brethren. I'm strongly encouraging you. Pay attention to this. This is sheep to sheep. That's what he's talking about here. Come alongside another that's dragging that's hurting, that's harming, and place within their mind, speak to them within the truth. It is a true statement that a lot of disagreements can be solved, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in friendships, within the church, wherever it is, through communication. The devil is in perception, isn't he? 
And so what his goal is, is to put you here and put you here, and you perceive things in your mind, and you perceive things in your mind, and if you never talk, then you just then you just operate in Satan's world. But guess what happens? Whenever people get together and they begin to have conversations, and I'm not talking about the you know, all of the, the liberal political garbage of kumbaya and let's just love everybody. I'm talking about actually frank conversations about things. When communication happens, Satan can't hide in the light. Truth dispels error. Light dispels darkness. And you find, well, you know what, I never thought of it that way. Or you know what, that's the way that they meant that. Or that's the reason that they did that. And rather than being left to, left to, your, to your thinking. Some members need to be admonished, and it's your task. It's a command, not an option. Because against your personality, wow, yeah, that'd be tough. I doesn't say only the prophets or only the bold apply. It says this is a responsibility that every believer has. Some members also need to be encouraged. Look at the the next command there. We exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Comfort. The faint-hearted, or literally small-souled. Number two. The second rule, ah, there it is, is we are to encourage the faint-hearted. Um, Paul tells us to deal here with worried sheep. Unruly sheep, worried sheep. Now, all Christians need to be encouraged. I need to be encouraged. You need to be encouraged. Other people need to be encouraged. You persevere, but you just need a little boost. It's a good word. Hebrews 10.24 actually tells you. You know the passage that says, Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. The passage that a lot of believers violate. Well, Hebrews 10.24, the verse right before not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, talks about when you gather, you provoke one another to love and good works. Your very presence can encourage somebody else. Has anybody ever done that to you? They didn't even say anything to you. But you just saw them. And you know what they're going through. I've told you before about Theda Lewis, how she would, how she would schedule her chemo on... Uh, you know, on Monday so she could come to church on Sunday and how she would do to get on Thursday so she'd come to on, on Wednesday night. And she just enough strength to get back to church and she would stand there in, in ladies' prayer time and, and just talk about how good God was and how she, she just didn't understand why He would be so good to her, knowing that at 8 a.m. the next morning she was going back for the chemo. Now, Vita didn't have to say anything to me. Just seeing her there <laughs> provoked me to be thankful because I'm thinking... You know, what have I got to complain about? This woman's going for chemotherapy tomorrow morning. She's going to get up and put her hair on and paint her eyebrows on. We all need encouraged. Most Christians want to do the right thing. A lot of times we just need some encouragement at times, a little push uh, to get where we need to go. And you're going to die on the vine if you, if you don't, if you stay away, you don't get encouraged. Sometimes we need more encouragement than others, and some people need more encouragement than others. This, this word, faint-hearted, literally means small-souled. Well, that sounds harsh, but that's what it means in the Greek. It means small 
small-souled. It doesn't mean that you're always going to be small-souled. It just means at that moment. So the unruly push the edges, the faint-hearted huddle in the middle. They lack boldness to accept the challenge. They're, they're, they're fearful. They're faint-hearted. Uh, these are the people who get worried or get afraid, get discouraged. And when that happens, other people are to encourage them. It literally means to speak alongside them, comfort, to come alongside, offer comfort and confident consolation. Radio guy used to say all the time, let not your heart be troubled. He was following this verse. I'm not sure that what he said after that probably followed the rest of the Bible, but he was at least quoting a verse. That's Sean Hannity. Okay? Um, this is a person that says, you know, I just don't know. It's a, it's a fearful person. How, how will that be done? And We'll never be able to do that. And, and what if... What if, what if it goes south? And what if people don't, don't like it? I'm not talking about somebody who's cautious for wisdom's sake. I'm talking about a different realm. Just as the first one, it's not about a differing opinion. It moves into another realm. This is about someone who's, who's not just being cautious for wisdom's sake. This is somebody who's small-souled. This is somebody who's fearful. This is somebody who always gives a reason why you can't rather than figuring out a way that you can I can remember uh, you're, to, you're to confidently comfort people like that with God's truth. I can remember a, a pastor that, that discipled me talking about a meeting where this where a pastor got small soul. And the large church here in Lynchburg, this is probably 20 years ago, and he was just a lowly intern at that time. You know the church, but I won't name it. Um, and there was some difficulties with with a plan that they had or whatever. I don't, don't remember the specifics. I just remember that everybody was really down. And, and in the meeting, um, he invited the intern. The pastor, the deacons, the other elders invited an intern, and they hadn't been in the meeting before. And it was like one of these really heavy deals. And he was very... It was, you know, the, the, the pastor was just like, you know, I was just really down in the dumps and, and fearful. And I just don't know if we can do this. And... And so on and so forth. And he, he said that that um, he asked if he could say something. Pretty bold for you know for for an intern. Um, and he said, I just spoke and said, you know, listen, guys, God's in control. the the Lord The Lord loves you and loves us and loves the church and 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 He's in charge. You need to press on. And that little word of encouragement uh, lit up the room, and and they did press on and. They're a vibrant uh, church that we cooperate with quite often. Even pastors can get that way. It's not just sheep. We need to encourage the faint-hearted. Admonish the out-of-step, encourage the faint-hearted. And then the third one here is uphold the weak. Uphold the weak. Third rule is uphold the weak. The weak are those who are fragile in their faith. It's not somebody who's fearful. This is literally somebody who's fragile. The word means um, someone who is, uh, who is weak morally, weak spiritually. It's someone that no matter what the circumstances are, they don't have, they don't have the strength. They don't have the spiritual strength. They don't have the moral strength. 
And it says that we are to cling to them. We are to hold firmly to them. I hope you're thinking about, about how these create a healthy body. Whenever you, when the members admonish the unruly, that's a benefit not just to the person who's unruly, but the rest of the body. When someone comforts the small-souled or the fearful, that doesn't just help them, it helps the entire body. And here you are to cling to and hold on to and carry along those who are weak. Now, using our ant on the potato chip or ant with the potato chip example, there's no one that expects a lame ant to help carry the potato chip. You might put that one on top of the potato chip and carry it. And that's what this person would be. It's somebody who is, who is fragile, who is, who is weak, whether it's morally or spiritually, whether that's because... They're young in the faith, whether they're young believers, whether they've had a recent fall. Somebody who is easily led to error, tempted, sin because of the weakness, and you're to hold to them and you're not let them go. You're to, you're to grab hold of them or you're to instruct them to strength or they'll fall away. They may stay away or they may become one of the unruly ones due to due to their weakness. There's a story that... uh, It's a dark part of Charles Spurgeon's life. You know, Spurgeon preached to thousands of people. Um, And he was preaching in, in, in Surrey Hall, and someone in the midst, thousands of people, jam packed to hear Spurgeon preach the Word. And someone in the middle of that service yelled fire. Now, in those days, everything is wood. You're packed in there. They don't have sprinkler systems and otherwise. Somebody yelled fire. And everybody heard it, and a stampede happened, and people actually were trampled to death. And it was something that that greatly grieved Spurgeon. It, it some even say that it, that, that it attributed to his bouts of, of depression. Here is a person who, due to their weakness, can get so fearful, so weak, they yell fire in the midst of a situation. And if you don't cling to them, you don't hold to them, then it can cause a stampede. And it can hurt not only them, but also the body. Um, age does not indicate spiritual maturity. Spiritual age or chronological age. There's some grade school children that I've seen more spiritually mature than some high schoolers and some high schoolers that are more spiritually mature than some adults. It has to do with sitting under the Word and allowing to transform you. But those who are weak in the faith need to be supported, not shot. It's easy to think one rather than the other. All right? Let me give you the fourth rule that he gives here. Admonish the unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. Suffer long with all. Be patient toward, toward all. Toward all men. Now, a lot of times in your English translations, you will see the word patience, and you'll see the word endure, um, and they'll use them interchangeably, but they're actually two different Greek words. One of the words means it's directed toward people and one's directed toward circumstances. 
This is the word makrothumie. That's to be long-suffering. That's the one that has to do with people. Obviously, it's dealing with sheep to sheep, so it deals with people. You're to be long-suffering. You know the Bible says that God is long-suffering? It's an attribute of the Lord. You're commanded to imitate the Lord here. It's also fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that the Spirit produces in you. Are you a short-tempered person? Well, the Spirit will produce long-suffering in you if you remain under the Word and allow yourself to be transformed by Him. The Word means not to give away to a short or quick temper towards those who are in this list. Notice it says, be patient with all, with everyone. Be patient with the unruly. Be patient with the faint-hearted. Be patient with the weak. Be patient with those. Be long-suffering with those who aren't even on the list. Well, that's a pretty big command, isn't it? I would say that's a command that nobody can fulfill apart from the help of the Lord. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 tells us how we do that. Long-suffering. It's easy to grow weary and well-doing, isn't it? It's easy to grow weary and well-doing with people because people fail you and they fail you again and they fail you again and they fail again. Did you know that God designed the church to be a testimony to the unbelieving world based upon the failures that you commit to one another? Did you know that? How difficult is it to be long-suffering towards someone that you see once a year or once every five years? Well, it can be nice to Uncle Joe at the family reunion. It happens once every five years, even though he's a big jerk, right? But what about if the big jerk sits beside you on the pew every Sunday? <laughs> what about if they sleep in the same bed with you? And you being long-suffering <laughs> to that person shows the gospel, reveals the gospel. That's, an un, that's not a natural thing. It's, it's a natural thing to want to pinch their heads off. Or to say, you know what, I'm going to sit on the other side. Or, you know what, I'm not going to have any fellowship with you. But that's what it says. It says you, you're, you're long-suffering. And people let you down. I can remember a young man that I poured hours into discipling in, in West Virginia. And I can remember him through tears, me watching him walk away from the Lord, saying, you know what, just kind of want to live the way I want to live. I want to have fun right now. I'll, I'll think about this again whenever I'm in my... I'm in my 20s. Always remember, whenever you're dealing with people, relationships in the church or serving or otherwise, you serve Christ first and foremost. You work for Him. You obey this command, not because that person is worthy of your long-suffering, but because Christ is worthy. You serve others for Him. Therefore, whatever their response, you can accomplish your, your service and you can know that you were faithful and that will help you stay the course. Alright? Let me give you the, the fifth rule, the final one. Verse 15. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both to yourselves and for all. The fifth rule is don't retaliate toward evil sheep. That's what it says. Evil sheep. Verse 15, See to it that no one 
renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Do you pick up any emphasis in there? (laughs) There's no wiggle room in that verse. Fifth rule that governs sheep-to-sheep contact is you don't retaliate toward evil sheep. God here tells us how to deal with wicked sheep. Did you know that you can be wicked? Did you know that God can call your behavior and your actions and your attitudes evil and be a believer? He's talking about exhorting the brethren. Can Christians sin? You better believe they, they can sin. And God here tells us how to deal with each other when we're wicked to one another. If you're in the church long enough, you will probably find some of those painful disappointments that you will face won't come from the wickedness of unbelievers, but it will come from the wickedness of other Christians. It's a horrible thing. So he begins here with the unruly that are on the fringe. You know, they're pushing the boundaries of sin. The wicked here are over the line. These people are evil. They're committing evil acts. They're these, uh, you know, little cartoons. They're church cartoons, and you'll see them in different places. And some of them have little little sheep. You know, they're cute and they're cuddly, and they'll have a nice little verse. And and if if you've ever been a sheep farmer or been around sheep, especially the long-haired sheep like over here, you will know that there are some nasty boogers at times, aren't they? Sheep can be cute and cuddly. But Christian sheep, we can have some teeth, can't we? The fangs can come out, and we can be very evil to one another. And that's what Paul is is talking about about here. Someone attacks you, they can attack you with gossip, with slander. They can help break up a marriage, any other form of wickedness. And Paul instructs us how we must respond for health. In the body. Now, he doesn't say this is what you should want to do. This is what your flesh is going to want to do. You're going to want to not return evil for evil. You know what your flesh is going to want to do? I'll tell you what your flesh is going to want to do. You want to light them up. This is what you're going to want to do. But this is for the health of the body. This is for Christ. This is for His bride. Did you know whenever you commit sin against another believer, you're actually committing sin against the Lord? Because you're attacking his bride. Did you know that? Adrian Rogers used to talk about people who say, oh, I love Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with the church. And he would talk about how ridiculous that was. I love the, I love the head. I love a severed head, but I don't love this, this body. I love Jesus. Here's a severed head, but I don't want anything to do with the body. I love you, Brian, but I don't love your wife. I don't love your bride. Well, we're one flesh. It's a package deal. You probably like her better than me, but it's a package deal. You get us both, all right? Paul instructs us that we must respond when that comes. The wrong must not be repaid with evil. No matter how wicked it was, how bad you were hurt, there is no place among believers for retaliation or personal vengeance. The only one who has that right is God. When you commit evil or wickedness toward another believer, you're attacking Christ because it's His body. And when you, those who have been attacked or those who have been harmed, 
take the role of vengeance, you are taking, you're climbing into God's seat. You're climbing up in His throne and saying, I will mete out the justice. Romans 12, 19, you know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. Pretty hard command to follow, isn't it? Impossible command to follow, apart from the Spirit. So you're not to do that, but here's what you are to do. If that wasn't hard enough, but also pursue what is good, both for yourselves and also for all. Proper response when sinned against is to seek good. Seek whatever is beautiful, whatever is noble, whatever is excellent. Both for you and the person that sinned against you, both for yourselves and also for all. This is a general principle. That applies for everyone. That takes effort, takes caring for one another. And you're in a church that's looks like ours, our size, or any other size where it's, it's easy to disconnect, it's easy to hide, it's easy to stay on the fringe, and God says that you have to commit, you've got to pull together. It's a contact sport. Souls are at stake. Your soul's at stake. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto, right? And God says you, as a believer, need more than one Indian who can't talk really well. You need the body to make it. But to get that benefit, you have to commit yourself to it. And you have to follow these rules. And if your part, if you play your part, God's way, God will grow us and continue to allow us to be a healthy flock. Good principles.